Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Terry and Sandra, and so it's a real privilege to have him here, and he's going to break the word for us. Just remember that if God speaks to your heart and there's any way that we can be assistance to you, our, my name's in the bulletin, I'm Steve Fields, Eric there, and we uh, are always available to try to reach out to you. If you would pray for me, I've got a lady I've got to go visit a little bit later um, uh, who's in critical condition uh, for her soul and her body and uh, pray for that and just pray that God will use all of us as light and salt in our community. Amen. So, brother, uh, this bunch likes to be out by one, two o'clock. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, and a- at the end of the service, uh, if you have anything that we can do to help you, be sure and let us know. All right. My brother, Paul. Thank you, Thank you Steve. Um, Well, uh, we grew up in Africa together, and uh, my father, we call Papa, he would preach for no telling how long. We sat on little wooden benches about this high up off the ground, and we were skinny, so we didn't have much padding. (laughs) When Papa got finished, then uh, the pastor, Pastor Benjamin, or someone else, one of the deacons would stand up, and he would illustrate the message for another 45 minutes to an hour. So um, I'm going to have to leave a little bit of time for my brother to kind of wrap things up after I preach. Uh, He he may pick up that habit. I don't know. But uh, I want to share with you from the scriptures. uh, Somebody has said nothing is original uh, from us. We glean from others. And I want to pass on something that's been a blessing to me. But I am thankful to have my sweetheart Marla here and uh, to be celebrating this time together. Um, on July 4th, I turned 67. On uh, July 15th will be the anniversary of my salvation, uh, 57 years earlier. And also, our twi- our, we were married when I was married when I was 20, so this will be our 47th uh, wedding anniversary on the 15th of July. So uh, this is a great month for us, and we're just glad to share some of it with you uh, this weekend. We're all in seasons of life. We all celebrate different stages as we see the vapor of our lives dissipate. Um, I was talking with Papa not too long ago. He said, son, I've got your mother's picture up here in front of me, and um, I'm just waiting to be buried beside her. And I said, no, Papa. I said, you're waiting for Christ. The Lord Jesus is going to descend someday, and whether you are dead and in the grave, your, your body, you will be, and if you're alive, you'll be caught up to be with him. So you're waiting for Jesus. And, of course, he's got enough preacher in him. He said, amen, preach it, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, 92, sometimes the kids begin to preach to the parents, and, uh, and that's okay. I said to Papa one time, you taught us how to live. Now you're showing us how to die. Both with dignity. Both are not easy. But we're thankful for parents that love God. And um, 
we're thankful that we can communicate from time to time. So I had the privilege of being born in Zambia and being born twice in Zambia and the privilege too, just recently terminating or finishing up our time in Paraguay uh, for four decades. And uh, what a privilege that's a part of our lives. The Paraguayan people said, well, uh, you're leaving. And I said, I said, no, we're taking you with us. <laughs> you're in our hearts. Uh, we will be forever marked on this earth and throughout eternity by the friendships and by the associations we've had. And with God's help, that experience or those experiences we've had are going to be just stepping stones to what God has before us. So I'm convinced that no matter what stage of life we are in, we are being prepared for what God has for us just around the corner. And that's what keeps us on our knees. That's what keeps us dependent on him because we don't know what God is going to do ahead of us. So we are thankful to uh, have moved from Paraguay to Greenville, South Carolina. On June 30th, we um, concluded with our mission organization that we've been with since 1977 and began with a new mission organization, the Open Door Baptist Missions in Greenville, South Carolina, birthed out of a local church. So it is not a parachurch mission organization, it is a mission within a church. So it's not a large group, but we are looking forward to working with a former missionary kid, uh, David Smith, who is the director, and we'll be working there with him and, and through that mission group, preparing new missionaries to go to the field and visiting missionaries on the field and seeking to serve the Lord in that way. I would like to direct your attention, if I could, this morning to two passages, Acts chapter 7, first of all, as we'll read some history, Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 29, Acts chapter 7, we want to start reading at the 20th verse and go on through verse 29. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged, it, avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And let's go now to Exodus chapter 2. Go back to the beginning, the second book of our Old Testament, 
And in Exodus chapter 2, we want to begin just reading a few verses in verse 11 through 15. Exodus 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, where he sat down by a well. And so we see two accounts, the same situation. And... Um, we find out that it's possible to serve God and yet to ignore him. It's also possible to want to do the will of God and yet do it in our own way. It's also possible to be 40 years ahead of God and his timetable because we're anxious to do it with our limited wisdom. And we do know by 1 Corinthians that this passage, as is the whole Bible, is written for our instruction, but particularly those Old Testament passages have been written for our instruction, for our benefit, so that we may not desire or lust after evil things as they did. And it mentions idolatry, and then it mentions fornicators or immorality, because you see the, the idols of the heart are what eventually come out and are exposed as issues of worship. So as we begin to worship things, or even other people, and ultimately ourselves instead of God, we find out that idolatry then unfortunately leads to a lifestyle that is totally immoral and apart from what God's righteousness is. And so we're told not to murmur in 1 Corinthians, and they're written, written for our instruction, and they're written for the ages to come. And so, lest we be proud, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and think that we stand firm, just be careful, we might fall. And, and those of us that are, are timid or, or weak, let's just take strength in the fact that God will not test us beyond what we are able. And so I trust you'll be encouraged as you look at this passage and, and with God's Holy Spirit applied to your situation where you're living today. We live in a fast-paced society and, and it's possible to pull our hectic lifestyle into the life of the church and, and even to our personal lives and ministries. And we find out many times that patience is something that is lacking. And we tend to get ahead of or perhaps sometimes lag behind what God wants to do. And we end up acting independently. So if I were to just put a few words around what we're going to share this morning, it is when to act and when to wait. Wouldn't it be nice to have all the answers? So do you remember his early years, Moshe, Moses? The one rescued from the crocodiles. God intervened. And Pharaoh's daughter actually adopts him. 
gives him a new name, being nursed by Jochebed, his mother who is um, married to, to Aram. And he was perhaps three or four years of age when he was weaned and sent off to the palace. We don't know all that he received in those early years, but we do know he had not forgotten his family. His educational experience was, was awesome. Um, in Acts chapter 7, we read that he was learned or taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and deeds. That doesn't ring true to us because we understand that later Moses said, I have a stammering problem. I have a communication problem. But at this point, he was everything but that because he had received something that the normal Egyptians and much less the Hebrew slaves could have received. And that is the instruction from the best of the best. Archaeologists tell us the Temple of the Sun was the Oxford of that time where he studied his head his, his head bald, shaved off, wearing a priest's tunic. And that is where he studied archaeology, mathematics, sciences, warfare. The Egyptians were brilliant people. They outdistance us today. You remember when Jacob was buried, they spent 40 days embalming him. That's a long time. And some of those mummies are still existent today from years and years ago. In the arts, they're murals using paints that have not been discovered, or at least they're not being sold, because uh, you, you have to repaint your house in four to six years, or a wall or whatever. Uh, that's, I know, got a commercial element to it. But some of their art is still vividly bright after all these thousands of years. So he was also schooled in law. Perhaps the Hammurabi code was existent at the time. And as we read the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit's giving of the law, we cannot help see some of the parallels there. So this Moses is not in a dusty land that's on the backside of some desert. He's in Egypt. He's in an advanced culture. And he's being raised, raised in a first-class country. Now, he was the individual being trained and by Moses' court, schooled, educated, that God rescued out of a watery grave in the Nile, took him from that humble slave shack where he lived with his parents for just a little while and then was placed back there for care. But God positioned him on purpose for a task. And I would like to suggest that he does the same for you and for me. Did you choose where you were born? <laughs> Did you decide who were going to be your parents? No, but uh, we know who did. And here we look at what God is doing in your life and my life. I, I love Ephesians uh, chapter 2 where it, it talks about the fact that we have been saved by God's grace and we've been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is that because we're his workmanship, can you imagine the artisan creator 
has made a work of art of you and me. And we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath foreordained or prepared that we should walk in them. So there comes the question, what has God prepared for you and where should you be walking? Now, Marla and I are on a, a, a new journey. We have returned to this country, which is a foreign country to me. We are learning to work with a culture that has changed over our perceptions when I lived here for 10 years, back in college years. And so this is a different culture. This is a changing culture. And this is a culture that I perceive as an outsider, and forgive me, as a very divided one. And a lot of things going on today that I was never aware of in the past few years. And so we are challenged then to lay ourselves before the Lord. Now, Moses was mighty in word and deed. So in other words, he had the leadership qualities. We would say he was the man for the job. If there was anybody to be picked to take the Hebrews out of Egypt, this was the man. And if you asked Moses at this juncture of his life, he's 40 years of age, he would say, yes, I'm prepared. Yes, I'm ready. And now is the time. I'm going to lead them out to independence. They're tired of being slaves. They're tired of being in a box. And God has so much more for us. I would like to say he wasn't only prepared in all of the leadership skills, but I think he had a heart for what God was leading him to do eventually. Because it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, that it came to pass when he was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked. And that word looked has the idea of compassion, has the idea of emotion. He observed as much like Jesus did so many centuries later with compassion on Jerusalem. He looked on his people and realized that they were not where they should be. And so he wanted to lead them to freedom, take them out of slavery. He was committed to do whatever it took to free them. But Moses had an untimely design for deliverance for his people. He had everything, humanly speaking, at his fingertips, but perhaps not the counsel of God. And that should be our biggest fear in life. We may be prepared. We may feel we have the giftedness. But if God is not in what we are going to do, it is worthless. It is empty. It's vain. But Moses hatches a plan, and I want to suggest something because I've had a conflict in my mind for years about two portions of Scripture talking about Moses' life, where he is told, we are told actually in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the first part of the verse, that Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, he had faith. But then we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 14, 15, that Moses fled from Pharaoh in fear. And we say, well, how do we reconcile these two statements? 
It sounds like a contradiction, but we know in God's word that's not the case. It's just we haven't discovered what the meaning is. And so when he was grown, he went out to his brethren. He looked with compassion on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian whipping up on a Hebrew. Now remember, this man is a prince. I believe he was armed. And he, at that moment, decides to do something about it. He was 40 years of age. Acts says he went to visit his brethren. And that word visit has an interesting turn to it. You remember in Luke chapter 7 when the Lord Jesus saw a, a burial procession going by him. He stopped them, touched the burial beer, the body, the corpse, and raised that young man from the dead. The response of the people is what I want to zero in on. The people said in amazement that God had visited his people. And that's the same statement here. As Moses went to visit his people, it was that word that theologians called incarnation, where God dwelt among men, Emmanuel. And so I believe that Moses' intention was to go live amongst his people, and that, that is where he did not fear Pharaoh or all of the cohorts that were around him for so many years, those 40 years of his life. He did not fear that. He was willing to go and be identified with his people. What a wonderful thing. Now, we do read later that after he killed the Egyptian... This man who had such compassion for his people, such commitment to do whatever it took to free them, he did fear the wrath of the king. He looked this way and that way, forgot to look up, obviously. And how did he feel years later when he taught the people that thou shalt not kill? Don't you think that was a deep and abiding memory in his heart but boy don't we have a lot of sins that we've been saved from <laughs> aren't we thankful for God's mercy and his grace and so Moses has a plan to deliver his people but it's an untimely plan why because I think it came on his heart it says in Acts seven twenty three to visit to have compassion, to see, to dwell amongst his brethren. I'm sure he thought he was qualified. He'd been saved himself from that edict of killing all the boy babies. I don't think that edict stopped. It continued. What an atrocity. Do we cringe in our land when we hear of the same thing going on? Not over sex, but being a male baby, but being any baby. That bothers me. What do we do about it? And so here we see this man. It entered in his mind, his heart. He said to himself, I can't stand it any longer. And when he is visiting his brethren that first day, he's seeing the abuse that obviously he has seen all his life, but now he says, I'm going to do something about this. 
I don't think it was difficult for him to kill the Egyptian who was distracted. He buried him in the sand. That's not hard to do. The part of the world that he lived in. And he thought, well, this is the way I'll begin to deliver the people. He thought he probably had the royal right to kill anybody if he wanted to. He was a prince. But let me tell you, it wasn't the right time nor the right way. This was inconsistent with God's plan. Now, is it easy to understand what God thinks? Isaiah says it's not easy. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither my ways, your ways. And to Moses' defense, he did not hold in his hands what you hold, portions of scripture and whatever translation you wish to read it in. The difficulty, of course, is obeying it. Perhaps you have got some things in mind that um, you've done a little research on. You're going to invest perhaps some money. Makes sense to you. Your financial advisors say, go for it. Now's the perfect time. But just like Moses, you didn't look up. You haven't asked God. You say, well, I've got kids and grandkids now and I've got a wife and I've got a husband. Do you ever look at the manual to know how to handle all those things in life? Do you ever ask God for wisdom? There's no guarantee. We thank the Lord for our 10 grandchildren. It doesn't matter that both Marla's grandfather, a lay preacher, and my grandfather on my daddy's side, a preacher, her daddy, a pastor in, in Iowa, my daddy, a missionary in Africa. We've had the privilege of serving God and our kids now are following the Lord. But what about those 10 grandkids? <laughs> are there guarantees? There are absolutely no guarantees. But we must rear them in God's teaching and instruction. And so that they can go back to the word of God and depend on God for their decision-making processes. Many times what we do is based on what seems to be working for somebody else. When we don't go to the essential, which is the word of God, we don't go to on our knees before God Almighty and ask for wisdom that we lack so much. Now, what Moses thought was a good plan, he should have waited 40 more years because that's ultimately when God was ready to move and to do what this servant had in his heart. And I wonder many times do we step out of God's timetable? Because he's not hampered by a few years. And the older we get, the less time we realize we have. And we want to do what we believe we, we need to do. But let's be careful to always walk behind God's leading and in line and in sync with his word. As Paul wrote Timothy, what did he tell him? Timothy, you need to pray. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made for all men. Paul could have stopped here, but he went on to announce in the next verse, 
And in, in one translation, it says kings. But I think uh, he could have just put the word Nero there. And pray for kings and all that are in authority. What for? So we can lead quiet and peaceable lives so that the gospel can go forward because God's not willing that any should perish. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's what we should be praying ultimately about government. But I'm afraid that we get caught up sometimes and say, well, we've got a little bit of a reprieve here. The economy is doing a little bit better. And we say, praise the Lord. We try to give him the credit. But really, that's not in our heart. Our, our heart should be crying out for the souls of men and women and thankful that we do have freedom still to preach the gospel. I'm thankful for the years we had in Paraguay. Yes, 96% Roman Catholic, but wide open to the gospel. Yes, there are a few hoops to jump, jump through to get recognized by the government. But once you are, you have freedom to go anywhere to preach the gospel. You can go to a public school and ask permission, and they will open their doors for you to share the gospel. You can go into an open plaza and start handing out tracts. So I'm afraid back here we're going to have to learn what the rules are. <laughs> it's not so easy as it has been in Paraguay in that sense. So Moses had to learn, and it would take 40 years for the Lord to move some of that Egypt out of him before he could go back. Moses' calling is another story, isn't it? Now, he ultimately said, send somebody else, God. You don't know what you're doing. You've got the wrong man. The Lord said, well, I've got your brother. That wasn't a great thing. Uh, no, no similarity here with me and my brother at all. But uh, Aaron was not a good thing. God used the situation, but boy, was there trouble when Moses wasn't around. And so we see Moses then seeing two of his men the second day he goes out to his people when perhaps he's getting ready to announce his leadership and his decision back in Egypt to free his people. And he sees two of his brothers fighting, two of his brethren. Whether they, one of them was the same one from the day before, we don't know. He did know about it. And I'd like to say that perhaps Moses was in his backyard, back where mom and dad lived. I don't know that. But why are you hitting your brother? And he says, this Hebrew says to this man who looks like one of the Egyptian taskmasters, and he knew who he was, he says, who made you prince and a judge over us? In other words, Moses, who gave you the authority over us? Now, 40 years later, Moses came with a rod in his hand in the name of Yahweh, God, the I am. And with the judgments against Egypt and the miracles, he was received eventually by his people. But here at this point, Moses has nothing to say because he is there in his, in his own desire, his flesh. It's his ministry. It's his work. It's his timetable, his plan. And what happened? Instead of being accepted, he's rejected. Instead of becoming the leader 
of Israel, he becomes a fugitive and flees for his life. Pharaoh heard about it. We don't know all the resentments that were perhaps there in the court. But Moses flees for his life and manages to escape. And he lives in Midian. He sits down by a well. I don't think he was very encouraged. He's an ex-prince, a would-be leader, a man running scared on the 10 most wanted list. But many times we step ahead of God and we decide we're going to do things the way that look the best for us. And let me, if I, if I can, in just a couple of minutes, to ask you to consider three questions. Would you characterize your decision-making process with the word impatient? Impatient. Do you tend to make decisions on the spur of the moment, whether it's to teach a Sunday school class, whether it's to invest anything, whether it's to buy something on credit or wait a while, and we hear today, and, and if, if I can, as I said, as an outsider, just see a culture that I believe, if you'll forgive me, says, I want it now. I can't wait. I've looked down the road. I've looked back. I've looked around me, and, and now's the time. Why bother praying? Now's the time. <laughs> That's impatience. Hudson Taylor, who opened up missions over a century ago, said there are three primary qualifications for a missionary. There are three of them. What are they? Patience. Second one, patience. The third one, you guessed it, patience. I was asked um, to share some brief words in front of our missionary family as we were terminating our years of ministry with a mission organization. And so our administrator asked me, he said, Paul, do you have any words of wisdom for young missionaries? Well, I said, they're not from me, but they're from Papa. And I don't know where he got them from, but here they are for what they're worth. Go slow. For a new missionary, you better go slow, lay low, and then don't blow. That's not very profound, but it works. And so wherever we are, whatever we're going into, I'm trying to take that advice. But impatience is, is many times uh, a problem in our decision-making process. I've heard people say, but, but I want this. I want this job. I, I want this person. I want this position. I want this place. I need this. I deserve it. And of course, yeah, have you prayed about it? Oh yeah, yeah, I did ask God's blessing on it. <laughs> but asking for God's wisdom ahead of making that decision is many times something far from us. And so Moses was impatient, I believe, in wanting to step ahead of God's timetable. Secondly, the decision that he made was in violation of the way God does things. He decided that killing a man was at least the right direction. And thirdly, 
do we look everywhere like he did, but up when we're making a decision? A missionary once said, wise is the individual who knows which way God is going and goes with him. It took Moses 40 years to then discover what God's timetable was and the way God was going to do it. And Moses was at the end of himself. I believe he spent so much time with the sheep, he didn't know how to talk properly. So are you willing to wait? Are you willing to pause in your life? Are you willing to stop and consider God? I shuddered a little bit when a church ministry was turned over to us and the missionary said, as he introduced me to a national church, and said, boy, you're going to see what Paul's going to do in this ministry. And I really did. I shuddered. And then when we started working, not much happened. And I said, well, it's all about God. It's his timetable. It's what he does that ultimately can be marked as a success. And so if at the moment we feel like we are not accomplishing what we're supposed to accomplish, remember God has a, an eternal purpose as he works through your life, as he works through my life. A detour we make, a flat tire we have, a ending up somewhere where we didn't intend to be. Have you ever thought, God, I prayed this morning that you would lead me, that I wouldn't depend on my own understanding. And now, Lord, you've directed my path in a place that I didn't intend to be. And I've met some people who I would never have met otherwise. And so, God, give me an opening to share with them eternal truth before I pass on and they go on our separate ways. And so, God, if he is ultimately in, involved intrinsically in every part of our lives, then we must have the faith that he is going to do what he wants to do. Somebody said it this way, are we willing to be limp in the master's hands? Limp in the master's hands. No, I'm afraid many times I, I want to be active. I want to be doing. But many times we must start there and be limp. And tell our, our, our Heavenly Father, Father, whenever, wherever, whatever you want, Lord, I'm yours. I am compassionate, Lord, and, and I am committed. But the rest, the rest, God, is up to you. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for history. Thank you for teaching us out of examples. A man who ultimately we would remember as one of the wonderful and powerful men of the Old Testament, Moses. Recognized by people around the world the bedrock of even many religions who do not know and follow Christ. 
And yet we are encouraged, Father, as we see him faltering in the beginning, the first third of his life. And then as he learned in solitude, in waiting, and then discovering the great God that you are. You've led each of us in different ways in so many times we've failed and yet Thank you, Father, for steering us in the right direction and help us when we sense your presence, when we understand a truth and your Holy Spirit is guiding us. Help us to step into those places of opportunity and ministry. But ever keep us humble, Lord. Ever keep us meek as this man was through his lifetime. And then use us for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.